1: Hello everybody, my name is Marcus Speller and welcome to the Barcelona Legacy podcast. This is the first of a six-part series to coincide with the release of the Barcelona Legacy, a book that explores how the evolution of today's game begins at Barcelona 25 years ago with the pioneering ideas of Johan Cruyff and was taken on by the likes of Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. It's written by one of our panellists, Jonathan Wilson, who writes for The Guardian, Sports Illustrated and World Soccer. And the book is out this month in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. We're also joined today by Jack Pitt football reporter for The Independent. In this podcast series, we're going to be looking at six matches that define this footballing evolution from Cruyff's Barcelona to Guardiola's Manchester City. And we begin at the end of this story, looking at uh, Cruyff's legacy today. The match we're focusing on, Jonathan, is Liverpool 4, Manchester City 3 in January of this year, 2018. Why are we looking at that one?
2: Well, in a sense, it might seem sort of a slightly strange choice that um, the the whole book is about Christ's philosophy, how Guardiola's taken that on, how he's reached new heights, and yet we're dealing with a defeat. But I think it's in defeats you really understand how a philosophy works, you really understand what teams are made of. And what we'd seen this season was Guardiola's City sweeping all before them, playing brilliant football. We were talking about another invincible season. And this you know, this, this game in January, going into that, we sort of thought, well, can anybody stop them? And we found, yeah, Liverpool could stop them. And that presages what goes on to happen in the Champions League. So I think I think that's you know it's that's quite important to to the book as a whole that this is not necessarily a celebration of Crofinism but an examination of mm-hmm. Crofinism. And so the defeat is what allows you to, to see its flaws as well as what makes it brilliant.
1: Mm. And Jack Jonathan's right, isn't he? The way Manchester City were playing in the season um, in 2017-18, it was incredible. And we've seen Guardiola do this when he went to Barcelona. Uh, we know what he did there with Bayern Munich, was, had great success, although didn't win the Champions League, of course. Man City, it translated again. But when they came up against Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp managed to find a way to stop it. Yeah that I mean
3: that is certainly what makes it so interesting is that this was a team that got 100 Premier League points and scored 104 Premier League goals like they are you know by the measurable statistics that we have they're the best Premier League team of all time and that is what makes looking at uh, such a spectacular defeat so exciting I mean I, I think that if they hadn't lost that game they probably would have gone completely undefeated
2: yeah, I mean that, uh, that felt like the last major says. I mean, I, I guess maybe the, the Manchester Derby that they
3: they then did lose. Yeah, we, but, but, but this in felt that Manchester, like the last in good that Manchester test. Derby we saw the same thing or a version of the same thing that we saw in the Liverpool four three and in the Liverpool Champions League first leg. That is, you know, City conceding three goals within sort of ten to fifteen minutes. So clearly, like looking at those those three defeats as a whole, you can see. Um, I mean, it, it seems silly to say when the team is that good, but you can see like an obvious flaw. Or like at least a flaw that exists that teams have found a way to get at.
1: Yeah, and, and it's interesting, Jack pointing that out with the with the three goals or whatever it was, Liverpool scored in quick succession. As we talk about in other um, of these uh, other podcasts in this series, it does seem to be that every now and then a window of opportunity opens for fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever it is. You've got to uh, score, three. and you've got to get them in there, you've, and you've got to rack them up because Manchester City did score three goals in that game, of course. But but Liverpool punished them. Yeah. And, and and the game was really lost in that in that little well, I, well, window.
2: What's fascinating is that um, you see this throughout Guardiola's career. There have been these games. So this this specific game, yeah. I guess we maybe we we should remind people what happened. Sure. Um, oxlade Chamberlain puts it ahead uh, after nine minutes.
3: Liverpool lead the leaders in the ninth minute. He has arrived, Alex Oxley Chamberlain.
2: Um. Sane equalises four for half time.
3: He's, in. He's at the near post. It's
2: well, is very evenly poised. And then suddenly, bang, 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 three goals in nine minutes. Robert Firmino, Mane, Salah, and Mane had hit the post just before the Firmino goal, mm-hmm. and then City come back into it right at the end, and it finishes four three. But it was four one, and for a while you sort of you see City absolutely reeling. You start to think this, if this could be five, six, seven, mm-hmm. and that was exactly what we then went on to see in the first leg of the, the Champions League uh, quarter final. Three goals in uh, nineteen minutes. There it was. Uh, the previous season. City let in three in 20 minutes against Leicester um, but we saw Guardiola's buy-in um, twice similar thing letting in three goals in 20 minutes um, and then the most fascinating thing is if you throw it right back to the beginning of the story to Johan Cruyff in the 1994 Champions League final which we'll we'll go on to mm-hmm. talk to in the next podcast again it's three goals conceded in what 16 minutes side side of half time
1: yeah something like that yeah.
2: Um so there does seem to be something in that philosophy and, and I think you know, we Guardiola is very much the modern avatar of Cruyff. He, you know, he learned his football at, at, at the knee of Cruyff. He was taken from the academy by Cruyff. The academy which had been founded by Cruyff to be run on Cruyffian principles. Guardiola is Cruyff in the modern age and maybe he's taken his ideas on and yet that glass jaw somehow is still there. So brilliant as the football is, dominant as the football is, although they win and win and win and win, although like they score hundreds of goals, if you can get at them, they are gettable at. It's just getting at them is very hard.
1: Yeah, and Jurgen Klopp plays a, a certain style, as we know, Jack. And his style does seem to have an effect on Guardiola's teams.
3: Yeah, completely. I mean, I think Klopp teams are basically like kryptonite for <laughs> for Pep teams at times. I think it's because of like that kind of ferocious pressing from the front. I mean, obviously, if you if you play the ball out from the back, then you're more likely to lose it there. And that, mm. you know... If city if city went long every single time they wouldn't come into the same problems. But because city's Guardiola city are determined always to pass out from the back, then uh, Klopp's Liverpool know that, that that's how they can hit them, and that's been then that has proven to be incredibly effective. Equally, because city, you know, as a point of principle, city like to defend as far up the pitch as possible. That leaves lots of space in behind, and because Liverpool can get the ball so forward so quickly to their very fast front three, that means that they can get in there. Given the fact that city are really good, they are still the dream opponents for Liverpool if you know what I mean because like they're, they're so aggressive they create the opportunities which other teams who are less aggressive don't, don't offer to Liverpool
1: yeah and it's an interesting point because Jurgen Klopp and, and his sides as you know, as Jack said they, they like to go at teams great record against
2: yeah, the I mean, bigger Klopp's sides Klopp's won 8 of 14 against Guardiola nobody else is remotely close to that but then am I right I think so, Mourinho's won 5 of 21 now yeah um, so 8 of 14 in more than half the games. incredible it's astonishing. And actually, what, you know, what, what Jack says about City passing out from the back. In, in Germany, when obviously Klopp was at Bussy Dortmund and um, Guardiola was at Bayern, uh, there was a cup game there. Bypassed it, though. Where Guardiola's way of getting around this mm. was to stick, have Martinez up front and go along to him. And, you know, what would be what, interesting what, if City what had a marrow like
1: Fellaini could have been? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's almost a compliment that was for Jurgen Klopp. The fact that he made Guardiola oh, yeah, change his absolutely. style or change that kind of Croyian principle, well, and it,
2: and but, it shows how that Klopp style so worries Guardiola. That hmm. he's somebody who's been utterly devout to those Croyian principles. Minor modification, you know, there's, there's been odd evolutions, but to almost entirely reject them, to whack up to the big man, to, <laughs> to, to kind of yeah, you know, suddenly for one one half hour of one game only. His you know his, his idol was not Cruyff but Sam Allardyce. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty... that's a
1: pretty pretty big impact
3: that Young Klopp's had on him. I think it's pretty clear that Klopp has got inside Guardiola's head. Like that the main lesson that I took from City losing in the Champions League first leg at Anfield was that Guardiola had changed his normal style of play to try to try to neuter Liverpool and it hadn't worked. That is all season City been playing this 4-3-3. And yet for that game, Pep basically tried to go in with a sort of four-four-two, playing uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Davis Silva and Fernandinho and Gundogan in the same midfield, which he'd, I think, only done one other time that season. Um, you know, hoping that City could just keep the ball and take the sting out of the game. And, it I mean, it didn't work at all. Like
2: Yeah, I mean the only other game that season that they did it was League the Cup League Cup final, final when work. they were
3: really bad first half,
2: yeah, because Arsenal were even worse. They got away with it. <laughs> but the previous season, he tried it, I think, five times yeah. and
3: hadn't or maybe won one of the five games. But it was, um, I mean... The fact that Pep, who makes such a big deal about how I play the same way home and away every opponent, we impose our game on them. Like the fact that he would change his change his system to play Liverpool shows that Klopp's got to him. And also, it, you, you could tell it got through to the players. Like the players were far less aggressive; they were far less purposeful. They weren't. They didn't really know. Look like what they wanted to. Do, like they knew what they wanted to do, and it wasn't really a, that much of a surprise when Liverpool ran through them. Yeah, and do, I think the you know, the the
2: fact this is a, a mental or emotional issue, you then see with, with Guardiola getting himself sent to the stands yeah, at half-time in totally. the second leg.
1: Sure, and, and and it's interesting you say that. Do you think, um, again, we, we will talk about uh, Joanne Cruyff himself more in, in the in the second uh, episode of this po- podcast series, do, but do you think Guardiola, because the season had been going so blisteringly well, and of course they finished with 100 points for crying out loud, let's not lose sight of that, But but do you think because of that, because... Again, Plan A was going so well, and they'd already beaten Liverpool. Was it five nil at, at home? Okay, Liverpool had a, a man sent off. Do you think Guardiola perhaps uh, rested on his laurels a bit too much when they when they came into this game, or is because we've again we'll talk about that in the next one with with Cruyff going into the the game against Milan in the final, or is that not like Guardiola?
2: I think that's a not like Guardiola, and certainly not when he hadn't won the league. Yeah, the previous season had been a disappointment. In his first season at City, he, he won nothing. Um Finished a pretty long way adrift. And there were a couple of games when they not really lost, but got hammered by, well, by Leicester and by Everton. Mm. And so I think there were significant question marks. Uh, one of Guardiola's great gifts is his perpetual intensity. And that's also one of the things that annoys people about him. Um I think certainly at Bayern, there was a sense that that intensity had started to, to to to, to, to chafe by the end. Um yeah, Lauren Blanc spoke about him, even as a player in the Barcelona dressing room. That, that, uh, yeah, Guardiola wore him out with this constant sort of talking and kind of your yeah, busyness in the yapstam sense of the term. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I think while that probably was true of, of Cruyff in, in the 94 Champions League final, I think probably not true here, and particularly because it was such an obvious big game, it was one of the two big league games they had left, and for all Guardiola. You know, kept saying and, and correctly as it turned out that you know going through a season unbeaten is just not not feasible you're, you're going to get some bad luck you're going to get a bad performance a bad refereeing decision a bad bounce to the ball whatever at some stage there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: For all he kept saying that, it must have been at the back of his mind by then because realistically the the title was won the day they beat Manchester United in November. Mm. Um, And United had that that really poor run when Mourinho, I think, went, went too defensive. And the games get away at Liverpool and away at Chelsea and then lost at Huddersfield as well and suddenly an eight-point gap opens up then City beat them. So the league title's won. What's left to play for? I mean, I can't believe he actually cares about the League Cup or the FA Cup although they do win the League Cup. It's a Champions League and can we, can we actually set new records? Can we go and beat them? Can we do something that's never been done before? Can we you know, make a point that my way is not only really successful but more successful than anything ever before? So, yeah, I I think this game and and, and the United game that they, they lost, both of them, he would have been absolutely
1: focused on. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, Jack, because, as Jonathan says, the previous season, he disappointed, really. And certainly, some sections of the English press sort of reveled in that, really, that this guy was going to... He's sort of coming over here with these kind of Cruyffian principles, call them what you will, and it hadn't quite worked. But then in the second season... Guardiola, having been a bit prickly in some interviews in the first season uh, in England, it was beginning to work, and we saw a more relaxed man uh, in front of the cameras. Well because he was winning games, you know let's call it what it is, and his, and his uh, ethos was being played out. But he cut a very different figure, and obviously, you know cleaned up in, in terms of the Premier League.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that that's one of the most important and interesting things about Pep's second season is that he kind of he didn't meet talk sport halfway. <laughs> he, there was always, during the course of the first season i mean do you remember after the leicester game where he said someone he, he said i don't train tackles i'm not a coach for tackles mm. when people were asking why the city players weren't putting enough tackles in the game which they lost four two, and there was this idea with pep that if if he just started to train tackles you know d- defend deeper hit it long pass it less put you know, Grant Holt up front. That's all he's got if, to do. If City had done that, they would be better in the second season than the first season. Yeah. Which, of course, I mean, I don't know if I can say this, but it's complete bollocks. Yeah. Like, City had, in the second season, City were more true to Pep's principles than they were in the first season. Like, in the first season, they averaged 61% possession. In the second season, they averaged 71% possession. Like, they defended higher up the pitch. They passed the ball more. They were just more of a Pep team in that second season than they were first time around. And that is, and that shows that Guardiola was vindicated for his ideas. And it also shows, like in a broader sense, this idea that uh, lots in England we kind of think that to make any idea work in any field, what you have to do is dilute it. If you dilute it, it'll work. You, or you dilute it until the point that it works, which is wrong. Like the you know, in reality, I think you have to. Or Pep is an example that, you know, implementing something fully, like maximal implementation, making something work properly, is better than kind of diluting it until it just turns into the surrounding environment
1: yeah and it's interesting you said once or twice there that they were playing in a more Pep style yeah. in a more Guardiola style is this now a Guardiola style or are we still saying it's a Cruyffian style or has he updated has he tweaked it
2: I mean that's, that's almost a theological argument
1: <laughs>
2: uh, what, is the Cruyffian style even Cruyffian or, or do we trace that back to, to Randus Michaels mm. um, I, I think you know, Guardiola's success an incredible success You know, seven league titles in nine seasons as a coach uh two champions leagues um don't forget that league cup and and, and the league cup yeah um yeah it's more than Cruyff one. um significantly mm. more than mm. one. so yeah perhaps this has become um his style his own ideas and certainly i think you see it's more aggressive in certain ways than, than crayford's football i think he demands more of his forwards than crayford did uh i think his use of fullbacks is is I mean I, I spoke to Louis van Gaal for the book, uh, actually the day of the League Cup final, uh, and he was incredibly um, intense <laughs> as you might
1: expect. <laughs> I was wondering what word was going um,
2: to follow. <laughs> he's he, you know he 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 makes you work as an interviewer, uh, keeps asking you quiz questions about what who was my defence in 2010? Oh, God, um, like, he's was, was it Seven de <laughs> um but he also is very pressing and know he he was he was saying that the way Guardiola plays pushing the fullback type of pitch and pushing them both up the pitch at the same time often relying on Fernandinho to to drop in as a third central defender he was saying he would never have done that he'd have pushed one up and that there was a risk that you could get caught as they subsequently did get caught um by by Liverpool um but i think that issue with the full backs is actually totally key to the whole, the yeah, whole issue. completely. that the difference um, in terms of personnel from Pep's first season to his second was he he just replaced the fullbacks and I think I mean, actually he spent a lot, of, a lot of
1: money we should say but still he, he
2: spent a lot of money that was entirely worth it you know he, the, his fullbacks in his first season had been um, Zabaleta uh, Kolarov Sanya and Clichy. Sanya and Clichy, all were of them like thirty one. Um and they, they just weren't quick enough and weren't fit enough to get up and down as he, he demanded they did so he brings in Carl uh, Walker for, you know, Jason Mourinho sneers at £50 million for Carl Walker. I mean, every penny of that was worth it. Mm. Uh, and Danilo and uh, Benjamin Mendy, who obviously had the injury and, and barely played. So Danilo, Fabian Delph and Zinchenko shared the left-back duties, and, and, and Laporte in a couple of games towards the end of the season. Um, but you know, Guardiola identified last summer, right, the... the issue in the squad that I didn't get and actually a weird mistake to make I think it was a mistake that was I mean yeah how much is hindsight how much is this to be realized at the time but I think if you're relying on four 30 plus full backs to play Guardiola style it's a big um, ask yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess maybe he, just had, he thought he had too many other things to sort out
1: sure well one of the other positions that he did sort out and it was well documented Jack was the position of the goalkeeper
3: yeah completely I mean I think that was one of the Again, this is one of these situations where the decision that he made to replace Hart with Bravo looked worse in retrospect because of how Bravo, how bad Bravo was. Like the fact that he couldn't make saves and was rubbish on one-on-ones. Yeah,
1: and, uh, the, and they and are problems for a goalkeeper. Couldn't really
2: kick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, I
3: mean, and yet had a 75% pass completion yeah. <laughs> rate in La Liga the previous season. Which kind of set up this idea that, oh, it's, of course, it was ridiculous to get rid of Joe Hart. He's a much better keeper. Um, but I think like Pep had the right idea, he just implemented it wrong. Mm. Um like Hart can't kick. I mean, as it happens, we also know that he's not so good at save at saves anymore either. But um have but it was only really once he got Edison in from Benfica the following summer that we realised, oh I see, you know, I, I kind of see what he's trying to do now because it made such a difference having a keeper who was so good with the ball at his feet, who was so good, his touch under pressure is fantastic, his passing is brilliant. The, I remember there was one and City beat Burnley at one point last season, Sean Dyche said it's like City have got Ronald Koeman in goal. Yeah, the, the way that he can kind of just ping the ball like these kind of fifty-yard diagonals, or. But I think of... you really saw that the game where they beat Tottenham four-one. Yeah, uh,
2: and, we've, and we've seen that uh, pressing high against City can be a, a way of unsettling them, and, and Klopp's sides did that. Tottenham tried to do that, and the, the way they did it was to. to Press the two fullbacks, press Fernandinho. There's no easy outball from the back, so all that happens then is Edison starts picking fifty-yard passes rather than ten-yard passes. And all of a sudden,
3: you've got Leroy Sane one-on-one one with Kieran Trippier yeah. in City. You're in.
2: Um, so in that game, I, I think I'm right in saying that um, Edison completed nineteen long passes, the so more than thirty-yard passes, as opposed to a seasoned average of four point seven, which
1: is incredible for a goalkeeper. But, I mean, 19, hence 19, the comparison with wrong. Hence it, the comparison
2: it's, it's with wrong You know um yeah i mean it's yeah um so so yeah and, and that is is of course a huge part of 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 the Cruyff methodology Right, one of the sort of one of the things people i think tend to forget or tend not to talk about that he even in 74 i mean it was partly a financial issue um but the reason he wanted uh young there was um yeah you know, he he Youngblood was a, was a better passer. He, he, he felt that they needed that, that passing ability at the back. When he was IX manager in the mid-80s, um, he insisted on having Stanley Menzo in goal, who was widely seen as being sort of slightly eccentric in the way the terms used of goalkeepers, i.e. drops things. But a great passer. And Koif and wanted him wanted a goalkeeper who could be a playmaker from the back because he knew that other teams would be very reluctant to have one of their outfielders press a keeper
1: then you're leaving somebody else free. Mm. And and something said earlier, Jack, about Cruyff sticking to his principles, not diluting them. Did that with the goalkeeper. And also, and John Stones um, didn't, it wasn't the, the starting centre-back for the whole season, but played a significant portion of it. Came under a lot of criticism. And what did Guardiola do? He came out and he backed John Stones and said, this is a player I love. I love this player and I, and I, and I licence him to play this way. And he's th- going to make mistakes. But Guardiola doubled down and said this is how we're doing it you can write what you want and that's what we're going with
3: yeah and i know that pep said to john stones in private that like whatever happens stick you know, stick to the plan don't go long whatever however much pressure you're under on the pitch we've just got to keep playing out from the back and for, you know stones is technically good enough to do that uh and then he goes in january let's not forget he broke the transfer record to sign another center back and i laporte who plays in in a similar way Um uh, so that I think, you know, I'm sure if we're starting to think how City will look in a year or two's time when, you know, company will play less, Otamendi will probably play less, like Stones and Laporte will both be playing that way kind of for this, you know, indefinitely for City, I think.
2: And that's yeah. a very Cruyffian idea that, um, you, I mean, this this relates to the goalkeeper's issue that um, Cruyff said, you yeah, know, I don't mind if my goalkeeper gets lobbed from 40 yards because he's playing out of his box. If the opposition want to keep shooting from 40 yards, let them, 1 in 20 might go in. But we will accept that because the benefit of having a keeper playing outside of the box, the benefit of having him sweeping up outside of the box, allows us to play a much higher line and it allows him to play as a playmaker. So you may not the, the benefits may not be as obvious as the negative, but the overall impact is is beneficial. Sure. So you know Stones may make mistakes, and maybe those mistakes cost four or five goals a season. But playing out from a back brings you 12-15 goals a season mm-hmm. and it's therefore worth it. The problem is that for us and for fans and for anybody who's watching the game, what stands out isn't Stones making you know, 80 passes a game. It's the one he doesn't make because of the goal. Mm-hmm. And it, that requires a great mental strength and faith from the Stone, you know, Stones or Stanley Menzo or whoever to say, well, actually, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that, that Okay, I made a mistake there and that's part of how I play but actually, that's just inherent in
1: this philosophy. Mm. And going back to the the match itself, Liverpool four, Manchester City three. You said uh, a little bit earlier that that Tottenham tried to press Manchester City, and and Edison just said, "Well, that's a fine. We'll just do this, and 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 we'll beat you four one or whatever it was." How did Klopp then get success when he pressed them? You know, what 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 was it about the way Klopp approached the game and has approached? Eight out of these fourteen encounters he had with Pep Guardiola that's made him uh, successful in in those games. I, th- I think that's
2: there. Is a danger here of always looking at the result, not the process, mm-hmm. which is something that Juan Marleyo, who's you know, a, a great, um, a great you know, one of one of Guardiola's mentors. You know, he went went to Dorados in Mexico to play for him. It's uh, something that he said. You know that. That's, you can get hung up on results, and sometimes the process is actually what you should be looking at. That things can just go wrong in football. So I, I think actually Tottenham didn't do that much wrong in the four-one defeat. They they played it the right way, but there's a risk in doing that, and that's why teams don't do that. Which of course makes it easier for City because teams aren't taking that risk. Uh, Liverpool are quicker than Tottenham. That, that's clearly true, um, and they they that 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 pace managed to induce panic. But you, you, you think of the game, you think of that Oxlade-Chamberlain shot after nine minutes that sets Liverpool on the way. How many times in the last you know, five years of Oxlade-Chamberlain's career have we actually seen him drive forward through midfield and ping a shot from 25 yards that goes in, You know, within a foot of the post? That's something he hasn't really done. <laughs> so if that hadn't happened, would the game have worked the same way? Perhaps not. Um, so it's, it's a combination, I think, of you know, greater pace, greater physicality. You think of of how Firmino scores a second goal, uh, which is basically just using his body, out-muscling a defender. Um, so you know, there is that extra physicality. But I think to an extent, it's just the way the game happened to fall. I think it, it's not ridiculous to suggest that Tottenham could also have won 4-3 and Liverpool could also lost 4-1, taking the risk, although Tottenham got hammered for it.
3: and was by the, the right thing to do. And by the same token, when Liverpool lost 5-0 at City earlier in the se- at the start of the season, they could easily have won that game. Like they were um, in the first half an hour, uh, Salah kept on getting in in uh, in behind Otamendi in a way which has actually felt like an omen for the Champions League game and the four three when that that same move happened every time. But this this was before Salah was really in his top goal scoring form. He couldn't score any of his chances. Then of course Mane gets sent off for trying to kick Edison's head off. And it's actually quite easy for City to get in and, and start racking up the goals in the second half. I think that yeah, that, that point with Mane
2: is actually it's a it's a, you know a real sort of point of comparison uh, between the, the five nil and the and the four three. That is not that far from getting to the ball. I'm not saying it's not a red card, mm. of course it's a red card. But he's you know, point one, point two of a second from winning that ball. He wins the ball and he's thirty yards out with an open goal is kind of what happens for the fourth goal uh, in um, in the 4-3, that Edison's putting the pressure, clears it, not actually as bad a clearance as, as many people made out, but it hits Salah on the halfway line and he pings the ball back over his head. So, if those those two instances, you could easily imagine transposed into the opposite games and the results being you're very different. Mm.
1: And and so, looking ahead into the, into the future, uh, Jonathan, where do we see then... Um, in a few years' time, will this kind of idea of the Cruyffian principles? Th- they'll always be there somewhere in football, of course, and people will still use that word, Cruyffian, uh, as well. But as the years go by, are we going to talk about Guardiola or however you would say that?
2: Yeah, well, I think we might. If, if, I mean, it's really to do with whether his players go on to become coaches themselves. So the reason that we call Guardiola a post Cruyffian is because he you know, he learned his philosophy, he learned his style of play from Cruyff and was then influenced by Van Halen, and, and and Leo and, and Bielsa and, and countless others. But it, it's Cruyff's ideas that he has, has taken on. So there will be a generation of players who've played for Guardiola who have no direct knowledge of Cruyff. So in the same way that we, we wouldn't think of Guardiola as being a post-Michaels player, he's learned from something he learned from Michaels. So in the same way, I don't know, uh, John Stones in, in 15 years, maybe... Yeah, you know, a a post guardiola coach mm-hmm. um being criticized for playing overly risky football <laughs> as his barnsley side romp to the premier Do you know, League. it's
1: a wonderful thought and it's something i hope we see happen um jack with guardiola something that um again we'll, we'll talk about in in later podcasts in the series that cruyff almost uh, invented the idea of a good way to play football against the bad way of playing football and Guardiola, there's there's an element whether it's come, comes from him or not. It's it's certainly there, and I think perhaps one of the things about the the English media was a, it was a case of, well, there's there's lots of ways to play football. How how dare you suggest our, our you know our traditional ways is, is not valid? Do you see that um, as a as a part of Cruyff's legacy as well with Guardiola that nowadays people tend to think there is a good way and bad way of playing football?
3: You often hear Guardiola saying things like. You know, I've I've got so much respect for every style of playing, uh, every
1: style <laughs> of playing is valid. And you apart know, apart from Nathan Redmond in that game,
3: and you know it's not what he thinks. He's just being because he's like a football manager. He doesn't know what it means to be sincere or insincere. Like he doesn't. <laughs> um, and so he, it's not like whenever they're playing, you know, because often they're playing against a long ball team or whatever, and he'll get asked about it, and he'll say, oh, "I have full respect for Sam Allardyce, full respect for David Moyes." But you know, that's you know, you you know that he he thinks they're. Well, I certainly think that he thinks that there is a kind of like moral element as mm-hmm. well as not, or like connected to the artistic element of how he wants to play. There's also like a moral element. Like this is, it's not just, it's not just that it works. It's that it's, it's more like interesting and better to look at. And it's therefore, it's enriching the game in a way that like, just trying to win the next game in however way you, in whatever way you can, is not trying to win them, is not enriching in the same way.
2: And that, that's a very, your learner, way of thinking if you see any interview with Xavi since he finished playing or since he finished playing in Europe and he bangs on about that all the time and mocks Real Madrid for doing the opposite
1: That's but I think Xavi. That is.
2: but I think it's also Guardiola is in a very uh, fortunate position that there are only certain teams who can play that way and uh, I think we'll probably touch on this in the, in the next podcast but uh, it is easier to play like that with a super club now than it was 20 years ago because the super clubs are so much superer, more better, richer, have more resources than the next tier down, and so you know, we we we've, if you look at um, possession stats in English football, uh, to have more than seventy percent possession, one team more, more than seventy percent possession in a game used to be incredibly rare. So look at the first three years of optic collected stats. Only three examples in the Premier League in three years mm-hmm. of one team having seventy percent or more possession. This last season, it's I think it's sixty-seven games where it happened um that's a huge jump now part of that is that Guardiola has has not just changed the game being at City but people have seen how his Barcelona played they've become used to this idea of one team having a lot of the ball and if you don't have a ball well you can still win the game you've just got to keep your shape and you can play without the ball and Mourinho's taken that on and run with it but it's also partly because some teams are just much richer than others in a way that was never quite the case before and the poorer team sort of shrugs and goes well what else can we do? So you saw that I think really obviously with uh, Newcastle against Manchester City the game between Christmas and New Year this last season when Newcastle just sat in their own box punted it long to uh, whoever was playing centre forward for them which I think was Hosley that day and there was no attempt to, to push up and support him It was
1: damage limitation
2: and, Well and, and they were only 1-0 down in the last 10 minutes and actually caused City problems mm. so um, you know, I, I wrote a piece about that and got heavily criticised by Newcastle fans, but I wasn't criticising Newcastle. I was just sort of saying, this is the way it is. This mm-hmm. is the way they play. And actually it nearly worked. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't object to is doing that. You've got to do what you can do with the resources True. you have. And that's where I think Guardiola's moralising sticks in some people's crawls, that it's very easy to moralise when you have these resources, when you can play that way, you try going and managing Burnley or Brighton or West Brom or Stoke. And yeah, maybe you, you, you would understand why you can't always play like that.
1: Absolutely. Um, and perhaps the person that that moralising that Guardiola and Cruyff have done, that the person that annoys the most is Jose Mourinho, Jack. And in the 2017-18 season, Guardiola quite handedly got the better of Mourinho in the league.
3: Yeah, completely. I mean, this is something that, that Jonathan's written about a lot, is the is the relationship between Mourinho and his ideas and, and Pep and his ideas. But I'm sure it will... It would clearly have stung Mourinho a huge amount that he, he arrived at, in England for this particular stint in 2016, kind of on a level footing with Guardiola, in the sense that they were both inheriting teams who'd underperformed for the last few seasons. City maybe had a slight, slightly better squad, perhaps. Uh, they've spent more or less a similar amount of money over the last two years. And yet the end result is so different. Like City have got a, a brilliant team who've broken records and won the Premier League and are not, maybe not adored but admired by everyone, whereas Manchester United are kind of. More or less in the same place that Muno found them, or well, slightly better. They came second this year, but they're not much better.
2: But um, there's still, yeah, there's no great incentive where, yeah. Manchester United are on telly. You don't think well, I've got to rush home and turn the t- turn the seven CV on? I mean, I guess we do because it's our job, but <laughs> I, um, yeah. But the, the fans, new, the that I know, certainly wouldn't. Work. Yeah, sort of as a oh, God United, and I think even the cup final this this season, there was no great excitement for because it's oh, United against this fading Chelsea with. Conte on the way out, um, so there's a sort of, and I guess that's maybe where the moral aspect does come in. There's a joylessness to United that sort of feels offensive because they've had so many opportunities, um, and they they should be playing the football of the super clubs,
3: and, for, and they're not. And I mean, this is a bit of a pub conversation, but I'm sure that if Pep was managing this United squad, they'd be miles better. Like, and even though he even with players that he hadn't necessarily picked. Like he, you know, he he would make far better use of Mata. He would have made a lot of very good use of Mkhitaryan. I'm sure he would have got more out of Pogba. Um, all the individual. I think he. I just think his way of playing is just better suited to mod, you know, modern top players, and I think who I'm sure they would enjoy it far more than the Mourinho way, which looks increasingly outdated.
2: Yeah, and we, you know, we're going to go on in the third podcast of this series to talk about Mourinho's Chelsea and particularly that you know those epic games against Barcelona and you compare the pace of that Chelsea side to the, the modern United, and it, you know there, there is no comparison. And I think there's almost a tendency, I don't want to say that Mourinho is ruining his legacy, but there is a, a tendency to sort of project what's happening now on the past and think of that Chelsea as being quite stodgy. They're really not. You yeah. know, they, they attack with incredible pace, and those quick transitions that you think of as being typical of Guardiola or Klopp in a different way, well, they were typical of Mourinho back then, and seemingly are not to the same degree
1: now. Absolutely right. A little peek behind the curtain there for uh, one of the uh, the episodes we're going to come on to in this podcast series. But uh, thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this first uh, of a six-part series to coincide with the release of the Barcelona Legacy, a book that explores how the evolution of today's game begins at Barcelona 25 years ago with the pioneering ideas of Johan Cruyff and was taken on by the likes of Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. And, of course, the book is written by Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, thank you very much. And Jack pleasure we'll see you next time for episode two it's all right Luke I know the World Cup's over for another four years but don't worry we've got all this to look forward to well, if you want any sort of basic mind game against mm. Mark you just don't shake his hand yeah. it's, it's out you, in the open you'd have to be a brave man I was, was going to say was <laughs> an interview with Sean Dyche
2: And have you heard how bad his voice has gotten? It is getting worse. worse.
1: To be honest, if someone's recently been kidnapped, they're probably not listening to the ramble. No. No. Unless (laughs) they're being tortured. (laughs) The Football Ramble, back for a new season, Monday, 6th of August. Dry your eyes, mate.